0: Thank you, David Boone, for your rendition of our theme, and welcome to episode 37 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other Degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, and Kim.
1: Hi, Hello. Hey. hey.
0: All <laughs> oh, right, episode 37. Jeez, not that many long to go, is there?
2: No. Yeah, we're so, yeah. we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, which, which is going to be sad.
3: Yeah, I think when it was being broadcast as well, we were all seeing that light at the end and thinking, oh, what's going to happen next?
2: You know, <laughs> well, talk
3: about season yeah. three and all this. Yeah, exactly. I, I was thinking, yeah. oh,
2: there's definitely going to be a, a third yeah. series, and there wasn't. Oh. Dull. Yeah cuz they never they never said at the end of the second series this is the end. So so we mm-hmm. had hope into in well into yeah. 1994 and then you have Frontline come along and think yeah okay the late show's over isn't it.
1: Mm.
0: And now a big shout out to a regular podcast listener Melissa Lachlan, my apologies if I did not say your surname correctly, Uh, but she has written, Hi guys, just listened to the latest episode of the podcast, which was episode 36, the Sydney episode, Uh, thoroughly enjoyed going down the memory lane there, Uh, and a few things to tell you from my experience at the time. One, I was at uni studying communications in 1993, and I did work experience at WSFM radio in the newsroom the week of the Sydney Olympic bid win. As part of my work experience, I got to go to the tape Parade and ride on the media truck with journos and cameramen. Honestly, it was (laughs) such a highlight. I was sitting on the back of a ute and recorded sound for the radio. I didn't get to see the Late Show guys, though, as the media truck led the parade. Kieran Perkins and Kathy Watt were in the car in front behind us. Uh, It was such a fun day and something I'll remember forever. Also, two, uh, the redhead kid with the helmet T-shirt in the street interviews, the one that was Richie Cunningham on crack, (laughs) the kid himself was in the band Noise Addict with Ben Lee at the time. I saw them play a few gigs Ah. in that era and they were just kids, but they were great. And also... Three uh, Laurie Zion was definitely on Triple J for many more years, hosting Creatures of the Spotlight. I actually won a VHS copy of the the olden days on his radio show when I correctly guessed what movie an audio clip was from, and it was Free Willy 2. So, Laurie was in the crowd of the when they all did the Biosphere 2 thing. So, yeah, so thank you very much for that, Melissa. You're
3: awesome. Very awesome. Thank you. But I love yeah. hearing all these extra bits of information.
4: I'm I'm just amazed that um, uh, heading up the uh, Sydney uh, Olympic bid parade was the media. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's well, so, they it's had, it's had it's they had to, to... Know that they have uh, been held in such high
1: regard.
2: Well, they had to turn their cameras around and shoot the people coming down, didn't they? So that that's why you get all those shots of Kieran Perkins and and the other woman. What was her name? Kathy. K- Watt. uh, Kathy Watts. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I, I, all I can imagine is Melissa with a shonky microphone of sorts or whatever just trying to uh, record the ambient yeah. noise. Yeah, Just
2: literally <laughs> holding it out in front of her. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, fun times. Uh, speaking uh, of her point with uh, Laurie um, in regards to him being on Triple J, so um, I, we actually caught up. With Laurie in regards to being part of that Biosphere Two sketch, and I did happen to ask him, um, "How did he become part of the show?" Because he actually has deep connections with the Degeneration.
5: Look, I don't recall the exchange, but I would never ask to be on someone's show. So um, they must have invited me for better or worse to do it. And the thing was that at that time, because I'd been living in Sydney then for four or five years, so. The late show was done in Melbourne, and any chance to catch up, you know, with Santo and the others uh, when they came up to do stuff in Sydney it was great. So I, I'm pretty sure I can't remember the details. I'm pretty sure though that they would have said, "We're going to do a show in Sydney. You know, will you come along and, and uh, will you be in the sketch?" So it was, it, it was, you know, I'm sure it went something like that, and it was incredible because I, you know, with a bunch of friends in Sydney. I mean one of the things I think I'm sure other people pointed this out on your podcast but one of the things about a show that was on 10 o'clock on a Saturday night back then was that it was water cooler TV everybody knew watched it. I'm sure people well you know at that stage of my life I'd probably go out afterwards if I was going to go out to (laughs) catch up for drinks but um, in a way that I think is very difficult to Convey now a Saturday night TV time slot at 10 o'clock became a compulsory viewing for everyone I knew. But, um, you know, they were always in Melbourne. And when they came up and did this particular episode in Sydney, I thought, wow, the, the, the atmosphere in the audience was just fantastic. It was a big event, you know, <laughs> there's no other way to describe it. And uh, it was great fun being part of, you know, part of that uh, posse of journalists so questions when you look at them now aren't that implausible of course he would ask those things (laughs) (laughs) so it was great fun Do you remember
0: when it was revealed that uh, Bajas or Lucky Grills was in the audience can you remember that atmosphere at all?
5: Uh, Well everyone just went nuts because he'd been such a big figure in the show and I didn't know about it actually before I think you know, even I was surprised that that happened. So uh, I'm sure I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast knows the context of, of Lucky Grills and Barge, but uh, it was you know it was a, a mega moment in TV, really. I think having him ask the question in the show, and in fact, it sort of gets back to this element of surprise that they were able to infuse into sketches that would start off and you'd think, okay, what's going to happen here? <laughs> and it, it must be more than just a bunch of uh, media people asking questions. There's going to be something else that happens to to take this sketch into another realm, and that was the moment. But as
0: a bonus treat, though, uh, the chat with Laurie goes on for a little bit longer, so I will throw that in as a little bonus mini episode in the Champagne Comedy podcast feed, so have a look out or listen out for that when that actually comes out. So uh, he does have a chat in, in regards to the frontline book too and as i said his connections with the Gen because he's really 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 good friends with santo really 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 yes <laughs>
2: <laughs> after last week's episode i did dig out my frontline book and reread laurie's introduction which is very good and so if you've got it sitting away on your shelf pull it out have a look worth a read as is the rest of the book but anyway the introduction is pretty good. Yeah, just read the intro. Yeah, cool. Laurie, done. Thanks.
4: Good, and forget
2: all the scripts and other information inside. Yeah. <laughs> Ignore them. Obviously complete rubbish. Yeah.
0: <laughs> also, don't forget, we've only got a couple of episodes left uh for our Bar Just Quote competition. How many roads must a man walk down? Yeah. So... Uh, record your bit, uh, record your favourite just quote, uh, make a fart noise and email to champagnelateshow at gmail.com and you could win the Bluey box set uh, that is the original TV show, not Bluey the cartoon, but I'm talking Bluey Barjas from the Crawfords Library. Uh, thanks to mygeekculture.com.au for donating that prize as well as run a prize up, uh, unopened champagne edition, uh, Late Show best bits of the Late Show DVD, and also possibly, if you're lucky, the autographed Joan Kerner, <laughs> Joan Jett. signed
4: and framed.
0: Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. still
4: still in my possession. I've I've had to uh, put it away in the safe. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> and also don't forget the Michael Warren CDs from the uh, toilet break. So um, he generously donated those CDs, and the music sounds pretty damn good too. So you will get a kick out of it. Twenty-five percent chance so far. Yeah, please get that in, because you got until episode thirty-nine to get your bits in, or otherwise, um, so far the entrants have a bloody good
4: chance at winning. So yeah, a lot of good stuff to uh, watch, a lot of good stuff to listen to, and uh, something to put uh, on the wall of your pool room. I've got the paper. <laughs> I've got the paper. <laughs>
0: For Daniel G and his program guide.
4: Uh, thanks, Matt. Uh, so this is what's up against uh, season two, episode seventeen, all from Ross Warnicki's critical guide uh, from the Saturday Age. Uh, and uh, starting with Channel Seven, uh, we've just got wall to wall tennis from eight thirty till midnight. The Australian Indoor Championship live coverage from Sydney of the semi-finals. Over on Channel Nine, we've got Hey Hey, It's Saturday. Uh, this week, hosted by Trevor Marmalade. Uh, it features Kim Wilde performing If I Can't Have You, uh, a cover of the Yvonne Elliman's song written by the Bee Gees from Saturday Night Fever. Uh, we've got stand up from Peter Rosethorn. Uh, another cover, Ugly Kid Joe, uh, performing Cats in the Cradle. Uh, then Kim Wilde joins uh, Mark Neill from Chances. Uh, And uh, he's also performing at the Comedy Club in a show called Sheer Madness. Uh, Then John Bon Jovi in studio before joining his eponymous band to perform Sleep When I'm Dead.
0: Oh, was that a cover of uh, his own song? Since everyone's been doing covers on (laughs) him. No, it's
4: it's weirdly cover heavy. Uh, Then uh, on Molly's melodrama, an interview with Madonna, uh, pre-recorded, of course. Uh, I don't think Madonna's ever actually been in the studio. I think she would... Think that she was tripping if she ever made it into Hey Hey and saw what was going on there. And I think no closest... she, she's only
2: toured Australia once or twice. Madonna. What?
4: No,
3: that the nineteen ninety three time when yeah, it was all the, the ninety
4: three cool
2: cruise
3: yeah. and everyone. We were either on the cruise or at the Madonna concert. Yeah, it was was uh,
4: definitely in in the 90s, yeah. Uh, And the Steve Miller Band uh, finishes uh, proceedings performing Midnight Train. And I listened to Midnight Train and it's pretty forgettable, really. But look, if you want to relive all that, you can watch it on the Hey Hey TV service or wait for Hey Hey, it's 237 years. (laughs) And uh, that's all followed at 8.30 by uh, the movie She Devil. Uh, says Warnicky uh, based on Faye Weldon's story, this wickedly funny 1989 tale of a boring middle-class woman played by Roseanne Barr who seeks revenge against the glamorous and famous author played by Meryl Streep who steals her husband's heart. Has a lot going for it, he says. What do you reckon? Has it stood the test of time? I, I
0: was I was about to say that. That sounds like something that Meryl Streep will play twice because she also did... And now I realise that wasn't her, it was the other woman in... Um... Death becomes her. Yeah,
4: it's a sort of a yeah similar role, yeah.
0: Yeah, that, the other woman being Goldie Horn, but Goldie, yeah. Oh, no, she does the same thing, yeah. She steals, yeah. There
4: you go. Well, there you go. You can, uh, well, I don't care where you watch that, but that's what was on Channel 9. And Roseanne um, Barr, yeah, whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah.
4: Um, uh, over on Channel 10, uh, this turns out to be Ross Warnicky's Pick of the Night. At 9.30, Dan Kerry in concert. The ad breaks Ooh. about 20 minutes of The May Irritate, but this tape of Dame Kiri Takanoa's recent Melbourne concert is a delight. She sings the classics and songs from the big musicals. Ross's mention of the ad breaks uh, is kind of interesting because um, there's a little bit more light shed on, uh, on why this all came to be from the review in The Green Guide by Michael. It's either Michael Smith or, or Michael Schmidt because for some reason Michael Schmidt's surname is spelled S-H-M-I-T-H. So I don't know if that's a title or if that's an actual um, Smith, uh, an actual surname. Anyhow, uh, Michael uh, writes that this is the telecast of the concert of the car launch that paid Kiri Takawawa two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to land her larynx and add lustre to, h- to what was more or less an extended c- commercial for a new set of four wheels with chrome or leather in the right places and an asking price of $130,000 or half a day in Curie. The night itself, I was there at the side of the dress circle, was a ferrado of salesmanship and marketing with a performance going on in between pitches. On television, topped and tailed with Anne Fullwood telling us how great it's going to be, slash how great it is going, slash how great it was, she appears at halftime too, the event is curiously muted. Thankfully, we are spared the dancing, prancing, pretentiousness of the 20-minute car launch itself which was a cross between the worst successes of uh, Busby Berkeley and Steven Spielberg. Now, it's not mentioned uh, what kind of car uh, was being launched. Uh, The only clue is uh, in the end of the review. Someone once compared Herbert von Karajan's conducting of Beethoven's Pastoral Symphony to driving through the country in a Rolls Royce with the windows up. Well, Kiri Takano in concert is the same, only the car is Japanese. What do you reckon? Any, any guesses there? I'm, I'm guessing oh, Mitsubishi. Not the Daishihatsu. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Dame, Dame Kiri could definitely add a touch of class to a Shitsu. I'm going to guess it's not the
2: Toyota Corolla.
4: <laughs> no. So moving on to SBS. Uh, the 9.30 movie is The Travelling Players. Uh, Ross Warnicki writes, Not previewed, but this well-regarded 1975 Greek drama is said to require a sound knowledge of Greek political history on the part of the viewer. Through the eyes of a troop of travelling players, the period 1939 to 1952 unfolds. World War II, the German occupation, the rise and fall of the communists. The film's length, four hours, is another hurdle, with v- uh, Vangelis Kazan and Aliki Georgiouli. And uh, Warnick is not lying. This goes from 9.30pm to 1.15am, three hours, 45 minutes.
3: Ouch.
0: Well, that's uh, about the average length of a Marvel movie. (laughs) So it's it's the norm these days. So, uh,
4: yeah, you would have either been watching that movie or probably falling asleep to the test pattern afterwards. All right, and that uh, brings us to the ABC. So I'll lead in, once again, it's Birds of a Feather. Ah, oh, damn it! I was waiting for that. What'll
2: I
0: do? Where is it? Oh.
4: Yeah, we'll
2: see.
1: What'll I do? Season three, episode one.
4: The episode is titled "Keeping Up Appearances," but don't uh, confuse it with the uh, British sitcom with the same name that appears earlier <laughs> in
1: the. <night>. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Sharon in uh, your dirty car.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a mashup, I'd like a clash of universes. Oh, God.
4: I bet he was too. <laughs> uh, so, in the episode, Sharon visits Chris in prison and is ejected after hitting him. And Daryl's appearance and personality seems to have taken a turn for the worse. Uh, he upsets Tracy by asking her to dress sexier and show more cleavage on her next visit. So, Dorian. The Dirty Cat offers to her a selection on some of her revealing outfits. <laughs> I know, it's like it's so against the stereotype, isn't it? Next of all, uh, we've got the listing for The Late Show. Again, there's another slight change from Ross Warnicki's usual listing, um, and sort of gives it a little bit of praise as well. Uh, he, he says that uh, it's satire and sketch comedy from Melbourne's D-Gen, and that it beats the pants off Channel 7's full frontal. Ah, Ooh, which yeah. uh, which uh, at the time was running at eight thirty Thursdays. So if FYI. well, it's true, but but well, like, they're, 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 of, they're really <laughs> different beasts, really, when you think about the late show and Full Frontal.
2: Yeah, but but if you compare what each of them is trying to do, the late show is still better at what it's trying to do.
5: Yeah,
0: because so, uh, because Full Frontal yeah. is the polished uh, sketch comedy, like completely polished. Late Show being part polished but majority of it being raw and live so and a bit more risque yeah
3: we always used to um say that this was the the late show was the as you say that that kind of raw and the full front was mass market and we looked down on people who are watching that and we always made fun of them at school we'd say oh yeah you were just watching the inferior version, <laughs> but I still watched the both of them.
2: Yeah, I watched both of them, but but I knew
0: which one I preferred. And don't forget, nineteen ninety three. I'm holding up the DVD of Full Frontal. This, yeah, uh, yeah. If, if
4: anybody wants to watch it, you can borrow the DVD off
0: Matt. Yeah, exactly. I'll charge you know five hundred dollars per <laughs> night. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's inflation. But in, this is you know with uh, it was at the days of the transition of going from fast forward to full. Yeah, there we go. If, oh uh, God! Allison's got, hers. Allison's got her copy as
4: well.
0: Yeah.
3: Oh, I've got I've got two editions of it as well. I can't remember <laughs> why, but well, I've still got my Comedy Company DVDs. So. Oh,
0: <laughs> see, there we go. Yeah. There's full or well, Full Frontal uh, season one came out in two parts, so cause that's part two, and then you got series series two part one, series two part two, and then
2: <laughs> yeah, series three. I've got both yeah. both volumes here. But you got, I guess you got to remember, you know, this one's, this series here that I'm holding up, series three. It's got Eric Banner and Sean McAuliffe in it. Now the McAuliffe stuff was always the the only thing I ever watched full front of for. I'd I'd sit through all the rest of it just waiting for Sean McAuliffe and that news desk segment that he had.
0: Yeah, that
1: that, that was that,
4: worth it. David McGann. That was that David was McGann. Yeah,
0: that's it. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. So after The Late Show, ordering the house at 11 o'clock, the week in federal parliament, although I think we might get a bit of a sneak preview during this episode of The Late Show. (laughs) Uh, Then at midnight, uh, Mel Smith and Griff Reese jones funnily enough, in Smith & Jones. Uh, At 12.30, the ATVI News and at 1am, Rage. Um, No guest program is listed, so obviously somebody's taken the night off. All right, let's get stuck into the episode.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Daniel. And here we go. We're dissecting so much. It's like doing a, an experiment on frogs in science class of The Late Show, <laughs> Season 2, Episode 17, broadcast Saturday, October 9, 1993.
1: And the opening is
6: straight up. Oh, Aussie adventure. Travelling through the great outback. Wallaby Jack,
0: Wallaby Jack.
2: Yeah, this this might be his last outing. This was the third one of these, I think. I think so. Yeah. Well, they they certainly got their money's worth because you know we were talking about how a couple of um, Wallaby Jacks ago there was there were those that sequence with all the trucks and how expensive yeah. that would have been to film that and hire the trucks and so forth. Well, you know, I guess you've got to get your money's worth. So three segments out of this, and you know, there's still some pretty good jokes in this one. You know, I quite I quite like when he goes see the indigenous paintings. <laughs> and and yeah. it's just, just someone's written fuck off Whitey and he has to stand in front of the <laughs> no. U. They had
3: an old though. That was the typo. Yes. I was like, let have two Fs.
2: Yeah. yeah. And then, there's some other good stuff as well. Yeah. I won't list all of them because that's boring.
0: Oh, no, no, of course not. No, but I, I will list this one. You know, it's always the classic get out the
1: guitar. <laughs>
0: And that was just a whole bunch of cockatoos being shot.
3: Yeah. Well, poor little cocky. Always amusing to shoot wildlife. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I do I do like the fact that uh, that Wallaby Jack's uh, wife does make an appearance in this one. Yeah, with yeah.
3: The, the beard as well. And then later on that beard goes missing <laughs> from Wallaby Jack himself, <laughs> yeah. briefly.
4: I don't know whether seeing uh, Jane Kennedy with the beard would have awakened any... Um, uh, would have had any uh, awakenings for anybody like it did uh, with uh, Mick or Santo.
1: <laughs>
4: just, just me? <laughs> I think we've learned far too much about your kinks, Daniel,
2: tonight.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it, it all ends with, uh, well, pretty much I think this is the only bit that's on the best bits, which is... Um, be Jack uh, taking a, a morning leak on an electrified fence and, uh, yeah, some excellent spark work coming out of the trousers, courtesy of Dr. Aaron Beaucaire. there.
0: Yes. So after the opening titles, we have the opening remarks and they're back in Melbourne after, you know, hitting Sydney in the last episode.
5: Mm. And
0: Mick and Tony are talking about restrictions on selling alcohol in restaurants are to be lifted, but selling flowers isn't. Now, straight away... I thought of this classic sketch from Martin Malloy.
6: She's coming to dinner, and you're on the menu. <laughs> I'd like to propose a toast, Terry. Siebra. Don't move. What? <laughs> Whatever you do, promise me. Don't look
7: back, what? Terry. I... don't. Excuse move. me, sir. Would you like to buy a flower? Mother of God! Make can go away! I can't! <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere! Excuse me, sir. Would you Excuse like a flower? Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. Excuse hmm. f- me, sir. Like sir. Oh!
1: What manner of evil is this?
6: Stephen King's The Flower Seller. She loves you. She loves you
0: not. (laughs) Straight from the Brown album.
3: Do people still do that? I think they might in some places, but in in Sydney I don't tend to see it. It's very, very anxiety-inducing seeing people walking around with those things.
4: It's uh, yeah, it's, the, the, years. Yeah, it's, it's the Yeah, it's the yeah, the classic uh, you're trying to uh, guilt you into buying something, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Well, on its sales
2: tactic, the, the restrictions in alcohol thing kind of is interesting, and unfortunately, we don't have either of our Melbourne-based panelists on this. But my memory of going to Melbourne in the 80s and early 90s was that you couldn't actually buy alcohol in a restaurant if you went there; you had to bring your own bottles of, of alcohol. And anyone who lived in Victoria, this was quite normal. And being from South Australia, I thought, what is this weird thing where you have to bring your own alcohol to the restaurant? Why can't you? Why can't they just serve it to you from a, from a selection that they've got? And I thought this was all rather weird. And so this is obviously the introduction of being able to get alcohol at the restaurant without having to go to the Botlow first. Well, I think that's what this is anyway. And anyone who thinks I'm wrong about this, write in and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It is an interesting thought, though, because if that's the case, were they referring to it just being like a Victorian thing?
4: or Yeah, like... it
2: was a state law that they changed.
4: Yeah. See, so, okay. Adelaide kind of has something similar at the moment, which has, like, it's always been talked about changing, uh, about the law being changed, uh, being on the cards, um, and that's uh, selling alcohol in supermarkets, because I know that, well, especially Aldi in other states, uh, they're, they're able to uh, sell out alcohol in supermarkets, but not in the ones in Adelaide. Yeah, you have to uh, keep
2: them have to keep them separate in a separate shop. I mean, they're often quite yeah. often next door to the supermarket,
4: but not exactly, actually in yeah. the supermarket. Yeah. Yeah, I know that when
0: I was living in Canberra at one stage, after being in Brisbane and Sydney for a, a fair while, and so used to the the bottle being separated from the supermarket, it wasn't until I. It was my first time going shopping. I think I was in Bill Connan Coles. And as I went in, you know, just going, doing my grocery shopping, and then there's just one aisle dedicated to complete booze. And I thought, oh, this is fantastic. You know, why couldn't they do this previously? But you had to get it at a certain time because at, after, I think it was like 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, then they put up the portable barriers so you can't walk down that aisle way.
2: No, they, they do that here in London. You, you're not allowed to buy alcohol um, before 11 o'clock. So you go into a supermarket early in the morning, and obviously there's a row of several rows of booze um, in in any supermarket in in the UK. But yeah, before eleven o'clock, it's got a barrier in front of it.
4: Yeah, if if, uh, if British comedy has uh, has taught me anything, it's it's uh, all about uh, that you're able to buy uh, liquor at the the corner store at the what's it the off license off license.
2: Yes.
0: St. Vincent's Hospital in Victoria is setting up the world's first bank for spare body parts, and Tony claims that it's inappropriate to have one in Victoria, as Jeff Kennett couldn't tell his ass from his elbow. I actually, I can't
6: wait. I want to go down and make a withdrawal, and I want to, I want to go up to the counter, and when they ask me, how would you like that, I'm just going to go, assholes, please. <laughs> <laughs> if you really bet you are stuck in the queue on the Friday lunch hour with the guy with the really big bag of penises, that would
0: <laughs> Let's just That's extend this, shall we? Let's keep this thing going. <laughs> and also the arse elbow. Arse, arse, elbow, elbow.
3: arse <laughs> elbow. Very yeah. confusing.
0: Now, the Telecom versus Optus results are out, and Optus is very upset and claims that the forms weren't given out properly, and then there was no joke really in it, because they just segged straight into a bad segue into the Pope's encyclical, or is encyclical? I
3: think it's encyclical, isn't it? I say encyclical, you say encyclical. Yes. <laughs> Let's call the whole, whole thing, thing off. off
0: yes. <laughs> and which Tony tries to describe it referring to how to handle sexual harassment within the church. So, and then there goes all those uh, church jokes, really.
2: Yeah, all, all your standard kind of Catholic jokes and like sort of, uh, all your standard Catholic jokes about small boys. Um, you know, you can
4: fill in the blanks yourself, I think. Uh, at, le- at least it won't be the most offensive religious content of the night.
0: <laughs> no, of course not, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mother Teresa is not happy with people using her name for profit, such as Mother Teresa Weight Loss Centre and Kung Fu School, <laughs> Loveline and Taco Shack.
3: Yeah, it's interesting mm. about Mother Teresa is always seemed very protective of the brand and the image I think uh, the cinnamon bun even about 1997 does everyone remember the Mother Teresa cinnamon bun it was this kind of a, a bun that looked like her and uh, it was world famous and it was exhibited in the restaurant um, and it turns out that they started selling t-shirts with Mother Teresa cinnamon buns on them and she uh, basically was not happy with that <laughs> <laughs> and they had to they had to um, come up with a compromise and actually sell only a certain amount. They weren't allowed to make any huge profit out of it. I think
2: you're better off finding Jesus in a bun because Jesus <laughs> can't sue you. <laughs> yeah.
3: You know who at the You Know What.
0: It is News Desk with Tommy G and Tommy G is feeling a bit under the weather. And <laughs> it's all about, oh, geez, hasn't this come full circle with crises in Russia?
4: Yeah, yeah definitely. Mm.
2: Well, not not quite as dramatic as as this one at the present time, but you can see it maybe is heading in that direction. There's a siege in the Russian parliament with, you know, tanks outside the building and Moscow television forced off air and and so forth. So it was a very dramatic moment in 1993 in Russia, but Mm. um, Yeltsin obviously got through it in the end.
0: Moscow's TV tower being knocked off air and the news was replaced by a standby program. (laughs) Are you being
4: served? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think some of that might have also uh, uh, some of that might have also been in reference to Channel Ten, which I think was still playing. Are you being served? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even as late as yeah, twenty something years <laughs> after broadcast. <laughs>
0: well, it I do remember actually being that and seeing a lot of the promos on Channel Ten, which you know they were quite known for in the nineties, where it was either you had Simpsons or you had repeats of Brady Bunch.
4: It's okay nowadays because we've got, you know, a million digital sub-channels to put it on, but prime time on your main channel, it just wouldn't be done today.
0: All right, and so Yeltsin joins the news desk live from Moscow and you have Rob as Yeltsin and Santa as the translator.
2: I, I've got written down here, Yeltsin Elephant Man Makeup, and, and that's because <laughs> the 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 prosthetics on, on this are not very sophisticated. They obviously tried to make... You know, Yeltsin had quite a distinctive face and they obviously tried to build up Rob's face to look a bit like him but actually he looks pretty weird He, he looks like
0: he's been mm. stung in a face numerous times
3: yeah, exactly. Like when, I, this is why I've said Elephant Man. It's like when they he did Bill Clinton and they just left it lying around in the props department and just brought it out again. It, it's a bit stretched and squashed, yeah, and
2: yeah, it looks yeah. like it's been sat on a few times yeah. or something. But but anyway, moving okay. on. The, the sketch is uh, sort of decent.
0: Yeah, the, the main part being this line here.
7: What is your view now in retrospect? They were bullies, thugs, heavies. Uh, they broke the rules and they would do anything for victory. So what, what will you do with the coup leaders? Uh, no, he's talking about the Brisbane Broncos. <laughs> <laughs> the Broncos. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Russian humour isn't that highly developed.
1: It's no.
4: just the
0: little... Bronco
1: comedy. <laughs> uh,
0: China cops criticism for testing a nuclear device because they wanted to test it in Sydney. So, I yeah, I've got no idea what that one was really about. That was an Olympics
2: reference because they because Sydney beat Beijing.
0: Yeah.
4: Mm.
2: That, that's... Tanks
4: but no tanks. Remember that awful?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. See, I wasn't sure if that was the reference, but I'm glad that you backed me up there. <laughs> so, well, this
2: this is my best guess. There, there may well have been some other world event I'm missing, but I think it's probably the Olympics.
0: Pope John Paul II uh, held his encyclical, encyclical <laughs> at Rome's <laughs> own ABC shop. That was a good one. Yeah. Oh.
3: Oh, I missed the ABC shops. Yeah, they were good. You can see uh, Big Ted there on, in the shot, in the window.
0: My last purchase at the ABC shop was finding a Doug Anthony All-Stars Dead and Alive as well as the last concert CDs shoved up the back.
3: Yeah, I was uh, a QVB in the last hours of it opening and everything was $1 and I managed to get uh, Utopia Season 1 and 2 for $1.
0: Wow, that's pretty nice. Brilliant. Nice, and we gave it away on this yep. podcast. Yeah, it's so. a good memory. <laughs> I was going to
3: say I had two copies of that, <laughs> and who ended up getting that? I hope they enjoyed
0: it. Daniel Hopmans. thanks for still listening as well, and hope you enjoyed the DVDs, as well as Benazir Bhutto winning the Pakistani election, uh, beating Nawaz Sharif, who, I, I practised that one, who struggled to get his campaign message across via phone. It's John Blackman from <laughs> Telecom Mobile now. Number yeah. 10. That's a 10th no, one. Yeah, yeah a, bit, no
2: bit a bit of a sort of brown face voice going on at the end there, but always good to hear John Blackman.
0: All right, commercial time, and it is the... Well, I'm going to have to just tweet out, or if I can find anything on YouTube for it. But it's you know those. I remember this commercial where it was just lyrics, um, and animated speech bubble coming up, interrupting, or you know, all about praising Jesus because it was the Christian Television Association. But this time
4: sort of, it's it's sort of like a primitive version of genius.com really. The original ad that this is parodying is available um, on Internet Archive put up by uh, Flemish Dog who is uh, truly doing the lord's work putting all of these old uh, you know TV commercials and TV presentation and a whole bunch of um, you know VHS ephemera.
3: Yeah, and isn't he play the entire show with all the ads and you can watch it live when he uh, broadcasts it.
4: Uh, yes, that, that's right. There's a, a, yeah, a Twitch uh, live channel that uh, comes up occasionally as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks, Flemish Dog. So, uh, yeah, it's the lyrics to a song called Sing the Glory Down. Uh, and in the original, uh, you know, thing has come up saying these are Christians singing. They're singing about walking with Jesus. Christians sing to celebrate, to celebrate the joy of living, the joy of being, the joy of being together, the joy of believing in Jesus. And then uh, the parody is uh, a lot more blunt. These are Christians singing. They're singing about walking with Jesus. They probably believe in the tooth fairy as well. It must be nice not taking responsibility for your own life. Christians are always the ones who <laughs> dress really badly at uni. Uh, <laughs> do, we, do we have any proof to back that one up? I'm afraid I'm not uni educated, so I don't know well,
2: I when I went to university, you know, we would sort of mock the the students for Christ society. <laughs> but on the on the other hand, on the on the university campus that I went to, they seemed to be the only active society and they would get together like every month or so and they'd have pizza parties and stuff and and I was thinking, actually in some ways they're having a better time than I am. So <laughs> maybe that's a reflection of what else was going on that at that university campus which was nothing. <laughs> but, but anyway, Christians were were very much mocked in this period, and, and so they were mm. considered to be a bit daggy.
3: Yeah, I think the nineties fashion didn't do them any favors either. But uh, <laughs>
2: no. I we were
3: all wearing it. We were
2: all wearing
4: it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Christians are all, always the ones who dress really badly at uni and have no friends apart from other Christians. And then it sort of goes into this sort of weird tangent. I was a Christian. It really screwed me up. I got into drugs, then meditation. Now I'm selling Amway, and then it ends on need any carpet shampoo.
0: <laughs> I believe uh, we've got a snippet here too,
4: don't we? Uh, yeah. So this this is this is from the the original ad, and um, yeah, this is well in the days before Hillsong. Could you could you see Hillsong United seeing you know, seeing this in front of a stadium full of believers? I'm, I'm I in could the way. I could
2: well they, they sing it, but it would be a much better production than just some dude with a guitar, you know.
4: <laughs> I, I I also do do enjoy the 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 phrase I'm in the way, which I don't know. Like it must be some sort of a weird sort of uh, biblical meaning, a bit like. The phrase to know someone biblically is isn't that like a synonym for fallatio or something? Well, is this is this a Well,
2: I'm you know like you know like being in the family way is is this? I that one. Well, being in the family way means you're pregnant, right? So it's a sort of Except old-fashioned like term in this
4: context, you're pregnant with the love of Jesus or...?
2: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Look, Christians in the 90s... Uh, I'm, 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 just... I'm, I'm, I'm,
4: I'm Catholic and we never sang songs like this, you know. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> all, all I remember is... Uh, like, I'm not, I'm not religious. Like, I am basically agnostic. Mm-hmm. I, I do remember the only thing in scripture in primary school was like Mesopotamia, the land between two rivers and that... That's (laughs) It's a that's <laughs> so, just history, though. I know, but is, I can't sing it, but that's all that's the only thing I remember because I'm going, What the f- is <laughs> This is when I'm like about six, seven. <laughs> it's like, Why are we learning this shit?
3: Well, when, when you Google, um, when you Google, I'm in the way, it says, If you say that someone gets in the way, you are annoyed because of their presence <laughs> and actions stop you from doing something properly. So, <laughs> well, I'm so in think, the I way
4: that's very apt I'm like being (laughs) being a larger statured person I'm always trying not to be in the way
0: so on stage now and Jane explains how much of a mess parliament was during the week with Peter Reith uh, being suspended and Paul Keating spitting the dummy oh bring back those days now Mm. anything like that is just plain embarrassing compared
4: to nowadays all of that stuff in
0: 93 seems so sedate doesn't it yeah so -hmm. what they've done is they've Basically, put the spotlight on what's happening on the back benches. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, What's
6: going on? I don't understand. What are look, you doing? Look, you see those people on the other side? Y- yeah. Well, whenever they say something, yeah. we go. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> what, what did he say?
4: I don't. I, I, it doesn't matter. Can you handle this? No, I don't know. I'm not sure. I can give it a go. What was
7: wrong?
0: Wreath is it's one of ours. ours. It was a nice little live sketch thing, but wasn't really strong. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. There's, there's quite an interesting line in retrospect, which is, who's the work experience kid over there? And the answer is John Howard. <laughs> and you're thinking, you know, in only three years' time, he becomes prime minister. But, but because he'd had that period in the late '80s of being the sort of failed opposition leader, you know, he he was considered, you know, as being a bit crap and yeah. then then you know only 3 years later he comes back in and then becomes one of the longest serving prime ministers of all time so yeah how his fortunes changed
0: wasn't that basically Lazarus rising yeah yeah let's
2: go yeah. with that Lazarus <laughs> <laughs> <Vicarious laughs> rising
4: <laughs> and really apart from that uh, little jab at uh, little johnny um it's a very uh, again, as we've seen throughout the series, it's a very unpolitical political sketch really.
0: Yeah, well they're making fun of both sides, so just basically the antics and the boringness that goes on within question time and stuff, so it wasn't a direct jab at anyone in particular.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. I like the the whole bishop beehive at the end yeah. as well.
0: Yeah, <laughs> oh, nice I like type. Dickie knee type thing. Yeah, <laughs> I did enjoy this little bit right at the end. <laughs>
1: oh, oh, that's that's dinner guys.
7: Hey, well, guys, guys! I thought I might just say a few words, to address the house before we go, um, honourable members. Before we adjourn for dinner, allow me to say a few words. Big back March, guys.
0: Can't go wrong with that.
2: Yeah, it was either going to be that or number 25, your meal is ready. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And the next sketch, well, not sketch really, it is something that comes with a warning.
6: The following episode of Bajas contains no adult (laughs) humour. That's right, none. In fact, the whole thing's really quite infantile. For example, in one bit, they've got him... Oh, look, I won't spoil it, but let's just say, uh, I hope you haven't eaten.
4: (laughs) Bajas, yes. And, and, it, and this this comes rather early in the episode, too. Yeah, mm. it does, doesn't it? It's like only about 15 minutes in. In Bed with Barjas on a play
0: on In Bed with Madonna.
2: The in Bed with Barjas is based on the diaries of. Anaïs Nin, and of course Anaïs Nin, the French-Cuban American writer best known for her erotic fiction <laughs> and her diaries documenting her exciting life in Paris and New York, but who knew she spent time in Melbourne with an overweight policeman? <laughs> what, what was Anaïs Was Anaïs Nin the inspiration for Anne Burke? Some literary <laughs> scholars are seriously considering this possibility. <laughs> <laughs> Also, guest starring Jeff Jeff
3: Harvey as Henri de la Toulouse-Lautrec in French. Ah, yes, he's the, the impressionist era kind of did all the ladies dancing and cats and yes. things. Yeah.
2: So, so a very very continental themed episode tonight, <laughs> or or not when you actually watch it. But anyway,
0: no, well, it does get a little bit French in a way with, with a certain spelling of one thing. Uh, Because, but but I'll get to that shortly. Because Barge just finally comes out of his coma, and the publican tells all bitted extras to leave the scene, and so then you have actually the guest Jeff Harvey staying, claiming that he actually has lines.
6: Off you go. Why? (laughs) You've got a beard, but I've got a speaking role. All right, let's hear some dialogue. Yeah. Um. Don't look now, but the guy behind us has got a lampshade on his head. Keep going. Well, the next line says something about us having a drink at some place called the Rab.
1: <laughs> well, that <them> doesn't make sense. <laughs> this is stuff.
0: The audience laughter brings out the goodness of that. So good jokes. <laughs> so after Bajaj is encouraged to drink his own urine sample, and Burke <laughs> needs to needs him to kickstart his toilet humour again, and they and so he blames the nurse for farting. He's basically ready.
6: Okay. <sighs> Other well, you lovely ladies can me for a
1: Dutch oven. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and after some liposuction from Barjass' left buttock, known as Fatso's Oil, uh, <laughs> full, he's had a full reconstruction as a half-man, half-cyborg robo barjas where we see a full point of view a la The Terminator.
2: Yeah, and and I think this must be the ABC Melbourne canteen footage footage of them panning over the various bane maries of, um, you know, uh, Dim Sims and whatnot. And
0: they look delicious too.
2: Don't they look amazing? Now,
0: here's the thing. I, I'm, like, I still yet to watch the, like, the, the entire collection of Bluey. I think that when they did the Robo Barjast, the nurse... Um, or the matron. I, I couldn't tell in any of the credits for this, but do you think they got her to redo that? Because that's a particular look towards the camera to do that. If that makes sense, you know how they get them to recreate.
4: I think. I, I think that uh, the the ABC might have just put that sort of special, sort of green effect over old bluey footage. I think that's about it, really. Mm. I mean, I'm 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 still amazed just at like uh, I'm I'm kind of wondering what the original context would have been for Bluey to slap a nurse on the arms. and, and yeah, yeah, vo- vo- over uh, in Bajaz as uh, you know, her bum's still.
0: It, it might be towards the end of the actual season, so spoiler alert for the box set. Uh, it might be episode thirty-nine, son of Bluey. Um, while investigating some new evidence concerning an old case, Bluey is shot and seriously wounded by the criminals concerned, and then yeah. So I'm guessing that that's how he ended up in hospital. So it might be the final episode. And that
4: that would that would explain uh, well certainly some of the uh, revoiced footage that we've seen before of uh, a fat bastard being pushed up a corridor in a. And, you yeah, bed and, uh, yeah, all of the, all, all of, well, basically all of the hospital stuff.
0: Sketch Time, and it's an Optus commercial trying to reinforce ethnic stereotypes by calling overseas and showing subtitles, displaying every cliche possible. And the original commercial, I will, uh, tweet it out because I was going to use a snippet of it, but it is too visual. The actual original one is a Greek one. And obviously, because, uh, Santa is the, uh, the token ethnic. Um, and they use—he's <laughs> Italian.
3: Yeah, a bit raunchy. I was wondering—is it going to be Rob? Is it going to be Tom? No, it's then it's Annette Santo, <laughs> yeah. and they almost kiss in this episode, but they get. Uh, Rudely interrupted, don't they?
0: There really isn't much for this one. It's just for a
2: commercial that was on air at the time.
3: I don't remember this Optus commercial, but I do remember the one that they reference
2: in it, which is the memories like the corner of my mind. Because you know that was a nineteen eighties <laughs> telecom ad for international telephone calls. Yeah, and and it had it had all this. It was a real weepy this this ad. You know all this mm. all this sort of family reunions. You know people emigrated thirty years ago, and now they're ringing their parents for the first time in 30 years and, oh, the tears are coming down as you watch it and all this. So I I remember that one.
0: Yeah, see, that was uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and so Optus have tried to replicate that uh, and do their own version for it, but it really fails. Like, seriously, I will tweet that video out and you'll notice how... It is cliche. It is so. Good on them
2: for calling that out. Maybe that's yeah. why no one voted for them.
4: <laughs> well, yeah, and it's it's yeah. It is refreshing that it is, as you say, being called out. That you know. <laughs> that, tish, yeah. that, mm. I, I, I hadn't thought about that pun to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> the Italian uh, stereotypes that uh, Santo goes through, uh, you know, things like Italian boys always bonking chicks off and two at a time, and Italian mothers being outrageously possessive, and Uh, you know, people wearing piano accordions and cooking spaghetti and I'm guessing, well, I'm guessing it probably wouldn't have been much better in the original Greek version that they're parodying either and sort of, well (laughs) I I, I said with the the Christian Television Association ad that they mean well Um, with this sort of thing, I mean they're just trying to market to a segment of Australia, but um, even if they do mean well, don't do it with stereotypes No. Like I sort of like I get I get what they're doing, but you know, in the end, it's just trying to sell stuff. And you know, you can do better. We're on
0: stage now, and couch time, late mail, and Judith reads out a letter from a viewer who has a who just happens to have similar handwriting to Judith, which Tony points out, and her thoughts <laughs> on Sega releasing the game Night Trap. Now, this is right up my alley because I wanted this game as a kid. I had. Sega Master System 2 and then eventually upgraded to a Mega Drive and I wanted the Mega CD it was the coolest thing to have now with not okay, the whole thing with Night Trap not sure if you know much about it but this is before games had in Australia really in pretty much most of the world they really didn't have a rating system because you didn't have too many violent games or like it wasn't that graphic in in regards to the detail but because of Mortal Kombat, the arcade game, and you had Street Fighter as well, please don't get me wrong with that, but Mortal Kombat kind of started the whole revolution of that because of the gore and the blood, the violence in it, and Night Trap was pretty much the first console game to trigger a, a response, actually from Sega itself first, saying, hey, this is an adult game. We're going to create our own ratings system to you know, try and sell. So they thought, "Court cool, we'll cash in on this. They're basically being rev- very, very revolutionary. So this game was released in, overseas in 1992. Didn't come to Australia until late 93. And the UK actually decided to Im- implement its own rating system for it. So they go, okay, this is an adult game. So the UK kind of started it. And then when Australia was about to get the game, that's when all the shit hit the fan. But with uh, Night Trap, the whole basis behind this game it's all video uh, and you just it's more or less like a kind of a point and click in a way on the gaming console is this a bit like choose your own adventure kind of yes and not yes and no but you had to monitor it's quite disturbing at of the time right and it's yeah. very pervy so hmm. but it's not what, what how what you think it is so the main star is different stroke star dana plateau So she plays Kelly, who is an undercover agent who is sent to infiltrate a, quote, sleepover at the Martin family winery estate after five girls go missing. So your role as a security officer is to monitor various rooms and keep the scantily clad girls safe and activate traps from when vampire intruders break into the house. Now these vampire intruders, basically people dressed from top to bottom in black, you can't see the faces or anything, and they have a, a tool uh, which is kind of like a long stick with a claw thing, and wrap it around the victim's neck to suck blood out. The majority of it's video, and you'll have security camera things. And there's like about eight to ten rooms in this winery estate thing, and you got to click each uh, window to see what's going on and then follow the storyline.
2: So Judith describes this game as a scantily clad woman is mutilated by a terrorist. Is the aim of the game to stop the, the woman being mutilated by the terrorist and then to save these women who are in this estate?
0: Yes, uh, but it was pretty violent or gruesome at the time. You don't see any blood mm. or anything, but yeah. here's, a, here's a grab of the game itself.
1: Hey, Sarah, where's your bedroom? Oh, it's downstairs this place seems awfully large. Do you have a big
7: family? No, it's just my parents, my brother, and me. But you never know who might drop in.
1: (sighs) Megan, this isn't gonna work. You're not scaring me. Wait.
0: You, that sounds disturbing, but when you see mm. it, it is so tame and lame because all it is, the girl Because was... the
2: graphics are not very good? Or... No, no,
0: no, it's all video. It's all video, yeah. but it is just uh, white puffs of smoke and the, the girl is in the nightie in the bathroom and so the vampires, uh, one of them appears randomly in the shower And that's why she's going, Oh, stop, but you're not going to scare me, and so forth. So she goes in, and it's kind of like a behind you, behind you type (laughs) of thing. It's
3: not the houseboat horror of video games, is it?
4: (laughs) But yeah. But yeah. Com- compared to Sonic and Mario and that and that and that sort of thing, I can understand why people would have been up in arms. Yeah, it's full motion
0: video.
3: And you said this was something that you really wanted. You would have been what, about 12, 12 at the time, I guess.
0: Uh, yes, twelve. Yeah, Judith is right. It, it, you know, it is. I, c- I can't explain it other than you got to watch it, and you'll just go, "Oh, okay, yeah, that."
2: I mean, it, it just just your description of it. It doesn't sound that much different to a lot of films in that era, where again, you know, women were. The victims of, of a lot of violence, so you know, and those those sort of films had M or R ratings at, at that time. So yeah, I guess I guess this is, it's understandable why people brought in the ratings for video games as well if, with that sort of content in it. It triggered it,
0: yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it was violence towards women, um, one hundred one hundred percent. And but and, but it, the same part is if it was guys as well in it too, it's still more or less the violence, and yeah, it's is designed to be controversial.
4: So it was uh, very fitting that Judith uh, uh, made her own video game with the help of uh, Doug Bain. Uh, and he's the guy a... who did
2: the boonie game? That's yep. the one,
4: yeah. Yep. yep. Did, did you notice the platinum
0: uh, grit? advertisement in the background which is a indie comic back in the day a cult comic
4: one that i think he was involved in as well so uh good on him for getting a plug-in on the abc
0: so yeah that whole game was basically called or it was called day trip and the whole concept was you had to rip the nuts off the game developer (laughs) the (laughs) sega game developer yeah
2: it's quite funny that you know the the sega man's knob is basically a, a dog with massive teeth jumps and sort of bites his knob off and and that's it's kind of it's funny, you know. It, it's it's the way it's done is comical. And then there's another dog who just bites his head off, um, yeah. <laughs> just to make it even more ridiculous.
0: There's a whole bunch of lookalikes here, so we'll tweet these out the images at TLS Champagne Um share them on our Facebook group too at the Champagne Comedy Podcast.
4: But yeah, some some of them are really good lookalikes, and some of them and are some
0: just of the, yeah. You're
3: thinking, why did they even broadcast those ones? But yeah, the one the one from. <laughs> obviously the one that they focus on the most is this uh the tape from uh, tony martins no not tony martins mum. who was it someone from from someone from the netherlands sent in a, ta- a tape have you got a, a clip of that at all
0: uh, Matt? I, I don't have the clip of the actual uh bit from the game show but i have Rob's reaction.
7: You are an absolute meddler, Jason Stevens. What? I've never been to Holland. It's an absolutely ridiculous <laughs> assertion. Red Holland <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. Sounded a bit German for a moment there too, didn't
2: it? <laughs> yeah, it did a bit. Um, Dutch is a hard accent to do, but. Anyway, the the two languages are kind of similar because the countries are next to each other. But, yeah, who knew that Rob hosted
4: Dutch Wheel of Fortune? Mm, and went under the name Hans van der Tocht. <laughs> that's, that, that's the guy's actual name, Hans van der Tocht, uh, yeah, the host of uh, the Dutch version of uh, Wheel of Fortune, better known as Rad van Fortune. <laughs> and like, I think I think the, the, the funniest bit out of it all is just seeing the, the introduction to... Dutch Wheel of Fortune, uh, yeah, just well, just seeing anything in a different language and see, like hearing all those rolled R's as well. The mm. the, the the voiceover guy is really giving it uh, uh, giving it up there.
2: Rad Van Fortune is the Netherlands' entry for Eurovision this year,
4: isn't he? <laughs> I'm going
0: to take your word for that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I have no idea who any of the Eurovision entries are.
0: <laughs> oh, geez, where's our Eurovision correspondent, Danny Tregonning? <laughs> Danny, <laughs> <Trigoning>. <laughs> yeah, yes. And it's documentary time, and this is a perler because this one is one of the most iconic produced sketches slash documentaries ever, and that is mm. Warren Perso, the last Aussie ochre. And uh, uh,
4: yeah, like you can you can definitely tell that uh, this has come from the mind of Tony Martin. Um, and uh, not just because uh, it features on uh, Tony's official Town YouTube page, uh, but, uh, you know, it's also been on the Jars and Olden Days DVD, which he uh, compiled. Uh, I think it's either an extra or an Easter egg on the Bad Eggs DVD. Um, yeah, you can, uh, you can tell, like, also because Tony's a film guy, uh, that uh, this is... Really, Tony, one
3: hundred percent. Yeah, and it's Judith, such
4: a classic this.
3: Yeah, I think, classic, and Judith yeah. as well. Judith has a really good role to play here, in, in just kind of counteracting the uh, <laughs> yeah, some of yeah. the uh, behavior that that Warren yeah. displays in this video clip.
2: The, the classic moment with her is is when Warren is trying to work out which um, sound effect to put over the top of the zoom in on the breasts of yeah. the <laughs> yeah. um, well endowed woman. Yeah, is it boing or <laughs> <laughs> and, and Judith's face, when, when she's asked to comment on this, is absolutely priceless. Say, yeah. I I yeah.
0: love, you know, um, this whole sketch really inspired me to be passionate about the Osploitation movies. So I've mm. actually been uh, spending my hard earned pocket money on 14 of them so far, but all the Osploitation Blu rays that Umbrella Entertainment have been releasing. So yeah. they're, they're just absolutely magical. And you just see, yeah, this is how movies should be made—just raw and not giving a flying fuck on what they spend the money on. So even the <laughs> box set, where you know, I, I just—I got plenty of them. So I'm a mad collector of exploitation. So, um, but with, with this whole Warren Perso thing, the whole character being based on a lot of the directors and so forth, especially uh, John Lamond as well and Alan Finney and um, Brian Trenchard-Smith and, you know, the list goes on and on.
2: Yeah, in fact, Alan Finney does a bit of a cameo in Warren Perso, doesn't he?
4: Yeah, yeah with that that immortal line, he's still your fellow on the fair side for six months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Referring to Mr T who's pulled out of a production. He's a grab of Warren Perso.
1: If we could talk about your early work, you began by making... I suppose exploitation pictures? Yeah,
0: sure,
6: and I make no apologies for that, Judith. Those films were, for their day, very successful. Films like uh, Confessions of a Bloke with a Really Big Donger, uh, Suck Me to Death, the film where I brought together the characters of Dracula and Emmanuel. You might recall the poster line, uh, she went down for the count. I was doing some pretty innovative stuff in those days. People forget, I was the first person in this country to make a film in Nogarama. See, you might call them exploitation films. I prefer to see them as explorations of the Australian psyche.
0: Explorations? Gotta love
2: it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that particular way that he speaks his lines is really special, isn't it? Yeah. You have yeah. to
0: watch Not Quite Hollywood, the documentary all about exploitation, and you'll just see that's got Warren Perso written all over it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see if, like like... Uh
4: like basically like most of uh, like most Australians, I follow a lot of uh Australian cinema, which means that I have not seen any of the movies that uh, have been parodied here. I mean I kind of know what they are roughly, so like uh, you know there's Ron's Barney, which is a parody of Don's party uh there's the Ber- Bermuee bronze, which is a parody of the Cool and gatty gold, there's Sturt Strazeki and Mangle's ones. I don't know what their parodies of, but I mean, you know, basically, uh, uh, is there a particular movie I should be going for that I should be watching that? Uh... Uh, might might help my appreciation of this sketch a bit more.
0: Well, you'll also appreciate, like, I'll, I'll list the movies that he's mentioned anyway. So there's <laughs> Rons Barney, Confessions of a Bloke with a Really Big Donger, Check the Tits on Her, Filipino Furburger, <laughs> Kelvin Son of, Melvin Son of Alvin, Birmingham. Yeah, Alvin
4: Purple,
0: that one. Yep. So, yeah, I was going to say Alvin Purple, um, and also Alvin uh, Strikes Again. So you got two of those. As well as, um, don't forget to check out The Naked Bunya, because Alvin, or... Graham Blundell is in a lot of the stuff. Same with um, oh, John Hargraves and uh, oh God. Who else is in a lot of the stuff? Well,
4: see what Warren, Warren Perso mentions, like Noel Ferrier and Abigail, and all yeah. these other sort of like like these are these are the stock standard people that you would that you would always see in these exploitation sort of films. John
0: Jarrett uh, in a couple of the films too, because especially with as you're saying Ron's. Barney, which is a parody of Don's Party. This is where the trailer came in.
1: Mal came
6: and Jenny, Simon and Jody. Evan and
0: Kerry. So, yeah, that was the trailer for Don's Party, written and uh, beautifully written by David Williamson. Um, and
1: kind and
4: yeah, of no, no. good timing, considering that we're recording this one week from a federal election. So yeah. So, yeah. <laughs>
2: Uh, I have to say, Ron's Barney is a pretty good parody of Don's Party. I, I would definitely support watching the Barry McKenzie films because they're quite decent. Les Patterson Save the World, not, not so, so great. I, would say. Not. <laughs> I, I found, um I, I did try and watch Alvin Purple and I got through it all, but I don't think it's a particularly good film that, that stands up very well in the present day, I can see that at the time, just the general idea of nudity and, and sexual freedom would have been quite revolutionary, but you watch it and you think, this is just a bit crap. Um, so, so go, go in, you know, I guess it, not expecting the best from these films and then you'll be mm-hmm. less disappointed when they turn out to be
0: a bit <laughs> crap. The, the, the best part is like, seriously, start with not quite Hollywood. And that tells you like when you actually watch a lot of these movies, you go, holy crap, as you've said, Alison. You go, how the hell did they get away with that? Um, and then when you watch the, the behind the scenes of it, you just go, shit, exactly. How did they get away with it? You know, money restraints or like, I think it was in Turkey Shoot, which is yeah, Turkey, Turkey Shoot. Turkey is, is
2: actually all right. Yeah, it, it, It's ridiculous and it's got Noel Ferrier in it, which yeah. makes it even more ridiculous, but it's it's a decent film.
0: And The Doctor from GP.
2: So the yes, yes,
0: yeah. <laughs> and also uh,
2: and Jackie, Jackie, um, Jackie Weavers in it, I think, yeah. as well.
0: Uh, and oh, Olivia, Olivia Hussey, as well, from you yes. know, the, the uh, the Romeo, Romeo and Juliet, Juliet
2: film yeah. from
4: the 60s, <laughs> yes, yes.
0: So, um, uh, there's
3: so much to catch up on. What's the best way, uh, for us to kind of it get sounds, started? It on this sounds brand like. With... It sounds yeah.
4: like Not Quite Hollywood is sort of like a little sampler box. Yes, yeah. uh, that that that, that, that yeah, yeah. you that you could watch and then go
0: from there. Start on Not Quite Hollywood. It covers everything, and then once you do that, you will start going into the. Oh, I'm going to track that movie down. But and so this is not a plug. Uh, we're not being paid for this, but Umbrella Entertainment are uh, gods at the moment, releasing a whole bunch of exploitations through the director of Not Quite Hollywood, Mark Hartley. So. He's been helping getting these things
3: done.
4: I'm feeling a, a, a bit sad that we don't have our resident sitting ass Tony uh, oh, he with would us this episode. This. So mm-hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure he, he'd have a lot to say about this Oscortation
3: stuff. Yeah, he would. But, but Matt, you're doing a good job as well for getting everyone excited about, all, about watching all these movies.
0: Yep, start with not quite Hollywood, and then if you ever get to it... Uh, Please do Liz Patterson Saves the World no matter what because that's basically barge us with a budget.
1: <laughs> it's
2: not a good film, but, but, yeah, that's kind of it.
0: It is, yeah. So, uh, but we'll continue right. on. Sorry, uh, we're going on a tangent here. I, that's my fault again.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but be-
3: before we move on, I just wanted to flag that John Harrison makes a appearance in Ron's Barney. Yes, body. he does. <laughs> hey,
7: Ron, what if I screw you, missus? Fuck <laughs> her off. You're not a socialist, <laughs> <laughs> You can talk, your liberal buddy, poofter. Hey, hey, Ron's no poofter. I've got photos of him screwing my missus.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
7: yeah, is that right? I thought he was screwing your missus, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> you weak bastard. You wouldn't say that if Gough Whitlam were prime minister? <laughs> no, you don't think so. No, no you don't think so. No, hey, yeah,
1: steady yeah. on, fellas, steady
7: on. Sorry, Ron, they only had light beers left. Oh. <laughs>
4: Liberals. <laughs> Brilliant. There
0: you go. <laughs> Accurate, apparently. Yeah, very very good. Also, uh, when it, though, he's talking about Bermagui Bronze, it, now, it, here's a little bit uh, where, you know, as you said, Daniel, um, the parody of of uh, Gold. This bit here, right, listen very carefully.
2: Joe, you'll have to choose. It's either me or the
4: Bermagui Bronze.
7: Listen, Bev. I'm not just doing this on me and Barry. I'm going this way, everyone! In this big, brown, flat, mysterious, crazy country who knows what it means to come third for Australia!
0: Now, did you hear that? What he described the country? Big, brown, mysterious...
4: Flat crazy. That should be very familiar to anybody who listened to radio between 1995 and
0: 1998. And now, live across this big, brown, flat, mysterious, crazy country, Tilstra Mobile Net Digital presents Martin
1: Malloy with Mick Malloy and Tony Martin. There we go.
3: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I should point out I, I got the Brown album at Salvos because it was long, long gone and I found it. So they're yes. still out there. You can you can find them.
4: People yeah, of physical media. Yeah, physical media,
3: and it works. And I, I, the panel live
4: two dollars oh, yes, from yeah.
3: Salvo's as well. So they're still out there.
4: That's great. And now uh, I've also got a bit of audio just to bring to the table um, to do with the last Aussie author. So this is Tony Martin speaking to Justin Hamilton in 2011 on Justin's now defunct podcast called "Can You Take This Photo, Please." Um, now you can hear that Justin's a really big fan of Tony, and uh, especially of this sketch. Have. Oh, listen
7: to this! My friends that I grew up with, uh, we we still quote Warren Perso. Oh, uh, yes. It is it is hands down uh, my favorite sketch of all time, and oh, that's we, and my friends still, you know, if someone makes, if anyone hears something that mildly resembles a fart noise, says, <laughs> "Excuse I," and uh, that oh, dear. It was, uh, but you, you you've told me that that. That died when you played it live.
6: That did because it was a, it was a long film piece, and we'd we'd shot that ourselves on film. We love to work on film, and it, it, it's. Yeah, I think it got... If you listen to the original tape where it was played on the show, it gets about four
7: laughs in ten minutes. You know, like the permagoo bronze. Like, how's that not funny? That is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I'd like to say it was ahead of its time, but I I don't think it was. It's like, you know, like like my mate who uh, now works for the government. All I need to do is, is... Like, when I catch up with him, the first thing he does is look at me and goes, Listen, Bev, like, it's still... It was so ingrained in in, in my group's culture.
6: Well, that's a classic case of... It's a classic (laughs) lesson of just do something that amuses you because I'd met a few of these guys through Michael Hirsch who'd worked on uh, Pacific Banana in the early 80s and a lot of the quotes in that sketch are word-for-word things that people actually said to me. Brilliant. About films being about, you know, winners like Alvin Purple. (laughs) And, And so... Yeah, that was one where you go, oh, I think maybe this is only going to amuse me and we showed it and I went, Yep, looks like it is only amusing me. But and even, then as the years went on, people kept mentioning
7: Well, you know, and it, it was it was chockers full of jokes. Like you look in the background, it's Evil Angels too. And it's a but it's um it's a yeah,
6: weaver. It. It's aliens. Aliens. Well that it's, was those that funny. Oh, I remember because we, we spent a fort the other thing we, we haven't had time to talk about is how much of our own money we insanely yeah, spent yeah. on that show. And that sketch cost ten grand. And I remember writing a check for $1,500 for those two posters. Right. And one of them is, is uh, Elise Platt and Aussie Joe Bugner in Wuthering yes. Heights down under. And the other one was, I, yeah, I just like the idea of if there was an Evil Angels 2, it would be like aliens where yeah. get away from her, you bet.
7: The goes attacking. Yeah. <laughs> that's cold.
2: Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's really interesting. I, I think why it became a classic is actually through re-watching because the first time mm. you watch it there's a lot going on in that sketch and there's a lot of a lot of jokes that you kind of have to think about a, a bit but if you mm. re-watch it on home video you pick up the details and you get more and more out of it each time you watch it because there's it's such a dense sketch there's so much going
3: on in it mm. and I, yeah. I think it's
2: the re-watching that's made it the classic
3: yeah definitely and I think. It- Live audience probably expecting some live stuff and they don't want to sit through all their their whole hour, like a third of, well, not a third, it's about 10 minutes. So a fifth of the whole time that they're there, they're just watching this and they're probably like, where's all the live stuff? Well, coming up, (laughs) next (laughs) next thing coming up is definitely live.
0: We might as well go straight into the next bit and it is...
7: Have you been paying attention?
0: (laughs) And now is your... Wrong thing. (laughs) It's another super challenge, and which was last played Season 2, Episode 12. And with audience member Rob with Santo and Jane Kylie with Judith and Tony with celebrity hostess Georgie Parker
4: a very squeaky Georgie Parker
0: yes uh with with assistance from Alf Kemaliri. <laughs> now we um, basically like I won't go through too into too much details with this but questions based on Pope John Paul's uh Second's encyclical Uh, a mother-daughter beauty pageant as well and um, then also comes the team captain question
7: Larry Perkins, here we see Larry Perkins winner of last Sunday's Bathurst who came 12th
2: (laughs) (laughs) gee that's easy
7: come on Rob, Kylie you can do it who came 12th in Bathurst bit of helping out from the uh... was it Larry Donahue Larry Donahue (laughs) (laughs) close enough it was Laurie Donahue (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but for bonus points, Rob, for bonus points, why did they come 12th? What held them up in the race? They were drinking and driving. Exactly. Oh! And
3: they ran into a booze bus. Yay! Hey, some audi- <laughs> audience participants actually answered the questions correctly.
0: Yeah. And now we have the celebrity offspring, which you had images of David Campbell, which is Jimmy Barnes, Julian McMahon being uh, the son of Billy McMahon, the um, Prime Minister, Um, and Ross Newton uh, being the son of Bert Newton, quote-unquote. Not really. He was just an actor with the same surname.
1: Oh, okay. So,
0: yeah, he was on Home and Sorry, Away. Sorry,
4: like yeah, I, I I watched I, that like, and like I'm thinking... Went uh, totally over my
3: head. Yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't yeah. know that was his son.
4: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe, I was, maybe, 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 maybe this it. was just some son that, you know, Bert didn't talk about, you know? <laughs> no, well, yeah. they, they're doing... Respected <laughs> his privacy. <Yeah.
0: laughs> it was the photoshopping because with David Campbell and they photoshopped Jimmy Barnes's mouth on him. Yeah. And then, because that's legit, his son... Uh, Julian yeah. McMahon, you know that was a serious one, but Ross Newton uh, because he ha- also had a round face. That's why they did
4: the stretch out to say Bert Newton because of big of moon face. <laughs> yeah, he was he, he, he was looking like a younger Danny DeVito, to be honest. <laughs> he did. That's, mm.
0: That's mm. a good lookalike. Yeah. <laughs> and other than mentioning the the prize being a fly die holiday to the Gaza Strip and stuff, you have the celebrity couples. Now, oh, this one is just horrible, isn't it? <laughs> so. <laughs>
1: The, it's it's it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's just
4: it's just all the setups uh, for a bunch of obvious jokes, really. This yeah. this whole well, I mean the whole the whole segment in, in was, particular. Well, really.
0: they made fun of one person in particular when they should have made fun of the another person that was before it. So you had Richard Wilkins and Brook Shields. That was fine, but it's just the next one. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't, oh, don't want to about do that no, don't want to give it any attention to that person. No. Um, and then the other one was the running joke that you know. What?
4: Again, again. That's that's, that's in the best that's bits. Yeah, there's a few.
3: Mm.
0: Noeline Donoghue, which, which was a, a bourbon bottle, and <laughs> Steve Vizard <Weissard laughs> with himself. Yeah, getting the boot in Tie-breaker question. No, identified a thin body. Yeah, another one.
4: Kate Moss. Like every everybody was making the same dumb joke.
0: Yeah, all, a lot of it was a product of its time.
4: Hmm. Yeah. Which, which, which makes me wonder um, how episodes of how you been, have you been paying attention will be perceived in a decade and a half.
0: Well, I've got all the episodes, so I look forward to checking those out, doing a podcast based on those, recapping in 20 years' time.
3: So we'll Recap the recaps. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'll reach so back to you for it, man. Yeah. To be fair to these programs, they're meant to be in the moment and not, not re-watched in 30 years' time. <laughs> yeah, no no, no, <laughs> well, no one's making them thinking about what's what it's going to be like in 30 years' time.
4: Well, yeah, so, something something that uh tony martin does say to justin hamilton in that it's an hour long podcast that i grabbed those two minutes from yeah he he did mention that yeah, the LHL was yeah thought to be disposable like a newspaper basically yeah yeah and yet some people decided to tape it on their vcrs <laughs> and then and then in the internet age you know they would uh you know run a few copies off the mates and you know send videotapes around and and suddenly it's it's somehow survives to this day and and we thank them for it
3: yeah who are those dickheads yeah i'm sure he does thank <laughs> us for it because he is tweeting about him he's posted it on his social yeah
2: yeah anyway <laughs> If you feel guilty about this, go and subscribe to Sizzle
3: Town.
0: Now, time for toilet break, and it is Act 6, Fred Sleep playing the goanna in three parts. <laughs> the mouth. Oh,
1: my man. God. You just, you you just get know.
0: the weirder what, what and weirder, an doesn't it?
2: Yeah. What an act this is. Yeah. Oh. really crazy here he's basically got a, a goanna which has died um and and he's sort of obviously got the skin of the goanna and and instead of just you know stuffing it in your normal taxidermy way he's shoved three instruments into different parts of this goanna <laughs> so so he's he's playing a mouth organ and a, and a kazoo and what sounds like some kind you know like he put a, a piece of tissue on a comb or something. I don't know what the three instruments are. But anyway, they're shoved in different parts that. of this goanna. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't want to know. And yeah, he he plays the goanna, basically. And, you know, when you watch the video of this, Ernie's expression is one of horror. But Bernard's expression is is one of more horror. And Anne Wills is just in tears. <laughs> just just crying with laughter. So you know it's it's really the judges are really loving it.
0: <laughs> you know what? They he totally missed out on the opportunity to perform solid rock. Get it? Get it?
1: <laughs> oh, Think about it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, there come we go. on!
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good. Thank you. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm here all day. Try the fish. Now we have. Uh, <laughs> Let's go to the discourse, shall we? Now, this is uh, Bernard.
6: It is so ghastly, it would sell superbly well. Set up a stall at Qantas Exit at Mascot International. Flog it to the Japs before it becomes Crocodile Dundee's own territory. <laughs> 25.
3: Oh. 25, Bernard. Oh God! Oh. I,
5: I realised
2: because Anne Wills is one of the judges that this one, of, this must be one of the episodes they made in Adelaide, and it really yeah. does terrify me that that Fred Sleep is is one of South Australia's greatest entertainers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh.
3: Yeah, I, I like the audience reactions on this one. They they do come to the audience quite a few times here. Oh, and, and yeah, get, the audience is uh, just
1: loving it. Like it's it's
3: <laughs> so different to some of the others where you just have these kind of really deadpan kind of... Yeah, stunned,
0: stun yes. Stunned, but
4: they're definitely not stunned. No. What's in no. <laughs> <laughs> the score, Daniel? Okay, so with that 25 points, that actually puts Fred Sleep equal fourth with the equally mystifying Ian Evans... Wow. From uh, from from season two episode twelve, Mr. Twin Peaks. We, oh, well, with the yeah, with his uh, mouth organ impression, yeah, and the, and the noise on his uh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. His, his little draggy tacky shoe, yeah, yeah. So yeah, was so, like yeah a... equal equal fourth
3: place. He wow. was like his own Goanna, wasn't he? <laughs> so Bernard's obviously got a thing for these weird ass novelty acts. Mm. Yeah, yes. he's just looking for sales. He just wants to say, "Oh, this, this one's going to be a good novelty act that's going to do well." Could have been Eurovision entry, actually. <laughs> good,
2: good. <laughs>
3: is is he is um is Fred
2: Sleep our Eurovision entry?
1: Oh, that's. <laughs> I do like that.
2: to think so. Oh, yeah.
4: you, you've you've brought up something which we probably won't discuss until um, episode forty, which is the the Bernard King scale uh, of uh, <laughs> of the potluck acts. Because, um, yeah, if he's giving 25 points to um, yeah, a mouth organ shoved into a goanna. <laughs> it says yeah. a lot about Bernard, doesn't it? Yeah. We, 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 we really do need to, to discuss the King scale of entertainment.
0: Oh, well, mate, yeah. this is a guy who based his whole life on making urinal cakes. So it's one of those, <laughs> you, you just got to go with it, you know? <laughs>
4: Another obscure Martin Lawley reference there. Thank you. I I couldn't
0: help it after hearing the... The scale
4: of entertainment, yeah.
0: Now it's time for Graham and the Colonel. And this is a pretty simple Graham and the Colonel one here. Spring racing carnival is in the air.
7: Positive dope test for lignocaine was it? A yes. uh, performance enhancing drug, was found in. Well, animals. you know, what's Colonel, that, mm, mm. we know what that, <laughs> that that is like mm, with yeah. our own horse Stufflecoat Supreme. Of course.
6: Of course. <laughs> they found traces in its urine. One yeah, night. but uh, you can hardly call
4: alcohol a performance enhancing <laughs> drug. <laughs> <laughs> it was going like this for most of the life. <laughs> so, I mean, great! It, it threw up at the first fence. <laughs>
0: I love Duffel Coat Supreme, especially around Melbourne Cup time. Every time I was at work during Melbourne Cup, when people go, Oh, who are you going for? I'll go, Oh, Duffelcoat Coat Supreme. And they'll go, Oh, what? okay, cool, cool. <laughs> and, yeah, and for the most yeah, ones... it's,
2: it's one of Gay Waterhouse's, um, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then is, when... he, is he
2: still alive,
3: even? I don't know.
0: <laughs> and, but when when they do try to look at it and go, oh, where's Duffercoat Supreme? I can't find it in there. I go, oh, just got scratched.
3: <laughs>
2: just got pissed. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Australia nearly lost athlete Dean Capobianco. Thank you. Thank you for your ethnic background, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write it out phonetically, uh, but they offered goods to entice him to stay, like naming a pizza after him.
4: Is a Mexicana, Americana, or Americana, a Capobianco. I'll oh, have go. a Capobianco, thanks, so I'll have a medium one extra cheese. I mean, that's a big honour. You, don't, big that, honor you
7: anyway. don't name a pizza after just anyone, Colonel. Oh, you have to be big to have a oh, pizza named I mean, after you. Well, Lord Capricosa.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about... <laughs> what about uh, the, the Earl of... <laughs> Lord Caprichosa.
7: Good friends with Lord, he was good friends with Lord Hawaiian.
1: <laughs> well, I
6: mean, when they had a big reunion, they got Sir Tristan Aussie together.
0: <laughs> oh, we could talk about pizzas forever, couldn't we? Oh, well. And also, Michael Jordan retires. Hmm. And it's, for the first time. Yeah, exactly. That was really weird to hear that. And it's left the door <laughs> open for Australia's Phil Smythe. So it's another Phil Smythe bashing. It's been a while since they did a Phil Smythe joke.
2: I mean, the hair the, or the lack the of... Yeah,
3: the old comb-over look.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: It's quite, quite a bold look for a basketball player.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, I think he's he looks a lot better today. He's kind of ditched that. He's yeah. aged a bit more gracefully and less kind of like, I'm clinging on to my comb-over.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Now we're on stage again, and Jace, Mick, and Tony plug the upcoming documentary, The Devil at Your Heels, which could easily fit into Ausploitation if it wasn't Canadian. Yeah. A good way to look at it is think if you go into Ausploitation, think Stunt Rock and Death Cheaters. With Devil at Your Heels, uh, with Ken Carter, that was a Dr. Aaron Burke's specialty, which they introduced, or he introduced it to the team, and yeah, it's pretty cool that they played the entire thing the following week. Yeah, I thought so the
2: anecdote was that um Santo had done some work with Film Victoria and and he had to as, as whatever the role was, he had to watch a lot of different films and he one of the films he ended up having to watch as part of this role was The Devil at My Heels and, and I thought that this was the inspiration for Shit Scared.
0: So I'll go with your thing, Alison.
2: Well, you never know. I tell you what, maybe there's somewhere out, someone out there with a better memory than, than you or I've got and, and can tell us where they think the late show heard about The Devil at My Heels.
4: Well, look, one, one thing that is certain is that it's a documentary from 1981 produced by the National Film Board of Canada and it won the uh, Genie Award for Best Theatrical Documentary.
1: Mm-hmm. And
4: um, it's it's been uh, it's been released on VHS with the introduction uh, from the Late Show people. Um, it's uh, also got put out on DVD through Shock Entertainment, and uh, because it's produced by the National Film Board of Canada, it's actually available for free legally and in full on YouTube. If you want to go and check it out, it's called The Devil at Your Heels. Get on it. And the and
2: basic. What it's about is is this stunt guy called Ken Carter and he's attempting to jump um, over a waterway that runs between Canada and the United States. So this is jumping a car a mile. And so they build this massive ramp and, and the documentary shows the process of building this ramp and then him attempting to do the jump.
4: And, and, th- and this is over the space of a number of years as well. Yeah, yeah. Time for the closing and that
0: is the musical finale and it is Ian Jury. Oh, no, wait. No, it's not. It's Brian Bury. Crank it out, Ian Jury's hit, Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick. And he does a really good job too. Hit me with your rhythm stick.
4: Hit me. Hit me. Hit or Hit me. Hit me. Hit me with your rhythm stick.
0: It's a great rendition. He mm-hmm. was too passionate about that one, so yeah, it <laughs> he's really committed
3: to this. Yeah, it was
2: wasn't he? Man, one of my favourites. This one,
0: Brian, being the weatherman for the today's Show or the morning show on Channel Nine, just a, yeah. the weatherman in general for Channel Nine.
3: Yeah, it was the, the original kind of zany weatherman. Yeah, wasn't he? <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah, before. <laughs> No, Santo.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, yes. <laughs> now, uh, if you want to uh, watch this uh, for yourself, uh, it's an Easter egg on the Champagne Edition uh, Disc 1, uh, which you can wing through our Bar jazz competition, by the way. Uh, but if you've got Disc 1, go to Volume 1, then go to Select Clip, then go to the page which shows you Chapters 26 to 31, then navigate to Menu, Then press left. Then press down. Then you'll see a bowtie icon appear out of nowhere. Hit enter, and you've got one and a half minutes of uh, Brian Bury magic.
3: God, bring back Easter eggs! Gold, all these Easter eggs. You don't get that anymore with all this instant streaming stuff.
0: It's a dead art form.
3: Mm. Yeah.
0: All right, and and people complain about media is you know physical media is dead. It's like, well, stop even
4: the physical media.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
4: (laughs) What do you we think, Bring life? it back! Bring
2: it back, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You uh, know what? next time there's an election, you need to stand for the Senate as the physical media party, Daniel. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I would vote for the physical
4: media party.
0: <laughs> oh, I, I would do too, yeah. So, would, yeah there'd, be, there'd
4: be plenty of us anoraks out there.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. do that, and then you can watch Ron's Barney in the background on election night <laughs> on VHS. Now, the credits, uh, were there any Easter eggs, Daniel?
4: Uh, well, just uh, a few special guests, uh, Brian Bury, uh, Alan Finney and John Harrison with uh, Chess Winters, uh, computer animation by Doug Bain, and uh, thanks to ABC News, John Diedrich, Lucky Grills, the estate of the late Gerda Nicholson, Mama Chilauro, who I assume was the voice on the other end of the uh, Optus Italian ad, and Regent's Court Hotel.
0: Now, after the credits, there was a nice little solicit. Now, this one was a little bit different because they've replayed, well, they've played... A pre-recorded one from the week before when they were in Sydney.
3: Yeah, with our own special guest, Bajas, Sydney local. So that was a really nice surprise. And you could recognise the uh, the Sydney Candone backdrop in there. And then... It's something that our Sydney siders wouldn't have seen, ironically. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and, yeah, it's just it's just worth it for one of the cast to to point off stage and go, there's donuts, and uh, to see Luffy Grills uh, bound off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that ends Season 2, Episode 17 of The Late Show, and this also wraps up Episode 37 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. Yeah, we finally got there. So feel free to email us, Show at gmail.com, Twitter at TLSChampagne, Visit the website, champagnecomedy.com. Hit up the forum; it's being held together by Sticky Tape. Also, Facebook, Late Show page, as well as search for the Champagne Comedy Podcast group on Facebook. It's on private. Answer the three questions and you're in. Also, our Redbubble store, uh, bit.ly, Champagne Comedy. And other bits and pieces too, like as in enter our competition you've got until episode 39. So hurry up and enter our bar jars, get your farts in and stuff so you can win some cool shit. (laughs) We got there. So other than that, I just want to say thank you, Alison, Daniel and Kim for coming back on.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. Catch you in the next episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. See you later.
1: Bye. 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 (laughs)